solving the pastor-people conflict. And the text is chapter 4 of Galatians, verses 12 through 20. Galatians 4, starting at verse 12. For the longest time in my uh, ministry, Christian life really, my um, image of the Apostle Paul was kind of like a first century Bobby Knight. <laughs> it's a kind of a it's kind of a battleship, you know, on the, on the sea of life, just blasting away at everything and everybody. And uh, Barnabas coming along behind in kind of a rowboat, you know, just picking up the pieces. But a careful study of the Apostle Paul reveals that he is not like that at all. Now there are three common misunderstandings about the Apostle Paul. And I want us to look at those. The first is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Three common misunderstandings about this man. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, don't you love it when somebody comes up and says, they say, you know, I said, who are they? They say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. The first common misunderstanding of the apostle was hypocrisy. They were saying about him, whoever they are, that this guy talks a big talk, but he's not really like that at all. And you get these letters from him, and, and, and the message he uh, presents in his letters is this weighty and strong individual, but when you see him, he's not. He's, it's all talk. He's really not what he says he is at all. Second common misunderstanding is found in the book of Galatians, the first chapter. This is the misunderstanding. They say, whoever they are, that, that Paul is not really an apostle. And the third word of this epistle, he calls himself an apostle, and he says, I am who I am because God has made me and God has called me. He says in verse 11, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I am an apostle, and I do have that authority. Third common misunderstanding is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I alluded to it in, um, in the introduction. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. We had the right to do that. 
Here's what he said. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Third misunderstanding was that this apostle was not warm and tender like a pastor. He didn't have a pastor's heart. He was theological and dogmatic and intimidating. He was severe. He was a male chauvinist, a woman hater. Vicious he was. And Paul says that is really not true. Um, I suppose that one reason why preachers are, you know, um, not uh, sometimes understood and don't turn out like we hoped is because we have this um, distorted concept of what they ought to be like. Dehan puts it like this. See if this sounds familiar. If he's young, he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, <clears throat> he's too old. If he has five children, he has too many. If he has no children, he's a poor example. If he uses notes, his sermons are canned and dry. If he's extemporaneous, he isn't deep. If he's attentive to the poor people in the church, he's grandstanding. If he's, if he's attentive to the rich, he's trying to be an aristocrat. If he uses stories in his sermons, he's not faithful to the text. If he uses no stories, he isn't, he isn't clear. If he preaches the truth, he's offensive. If he doesn't, he's a hypocrite. If he, um, if he doesn't please people, he needs to leave. If he pleases people, he has no convictions. If he drives an old car, he's an embarrassment. If he drives a new car, he's, he's set his affection on worldly things. If he preaches all the time, they get tired of hearing from him. If he uses guest preachers, he's shirking his responsibility. If he, take, if he makes a big salary, he's mercenary. If he makes a small salary, it's because he isn't worth anything anyway. <laughs> now, he goes on to say that the way to get rid of a preacher is to sit right in front of him in church <clears throat> and, and, and every few minutes say amen and he'll preach himself to death. <laughs> or, 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 or build him up and praise him and he'll work himself to death or spend some time praying for him, and he'll get so good some other church will call him as their pastor. How to get rid of your preacher. I suppose that what we don't really need to do is learn how to get rid of our preacher. We need to learn how to get rid of the conflict that exists between so many preachers and so many people. You talk about a relevant sermon. This appeared in the Baptist Messenger not long ago. Firings of Southern Baptist member, ministers labeled epidemic. I just underline a few things in this little uh, article. The firing of Southern Baptist pastors referred to in Southern Baptist parlance as forced terminations has become an epidemic according to recent studies. The Sunday School Board showed that more than 2,100 Southern Baptist ministers were fired during an 18-month period. That meant an average of 116 per month. The most insecure person in the world is a Baptist minister in his 50s. <laughs> now, 
Now, amen at the right time. Now, if <laughs> a recent study conducted for the Missouri Baptist Convention found that at least 53 ministers in the state experienced forced termination in the past three years. It's an epidemic, said Joe McKeever, who left the pastorate of First Baptist Charlotte, North Carolina, under pressure last summer. There's just craziness in some of our churches these days. Most respondents to the survey said they were terminated with no warning. Less than 20% said their terminations were the result of a process of which they were aware. Nearly 63% said their churches had previously fired one or more ministers, but only one respondent said he had known this before being called to that church. We've been infiltrated with secular values in the church, said R. Gene Puckett, editor of the North Carolina Baptist newspaper. In the secular world, a man produces or you chop off his head. How to get rid of the conflict that exists between pastor and people. There was a criticism being leveled at the Apostle Paul. The criticism was that when we get to chapter 4, answered beautifully. The criticism was that he didn't have a loving, tender pastor's heart. Let me give you a little background, and I may get down, you know, what we used to call in West Texas and chop right up next to the corn. In West Texas, it was cotton. I may get right down with you in a minute and chop right up next to the cotton. If you don't have a heart for it, you might all take your nitroglycerin tablet, you know, before the attack comes on, because we're going to get into this pretty heavy. Here's the background. The Apostle Paul had been preaching that God that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and that only when a person is, has faith in Jesus' finished work is he rightly related to God. For by grace are you saved through faith apart from works. And the only way that man can come to God is on a free gift basis. And these Galatians were teaching that salvation was by grace plus works. And the Apostle Paul takes this issue head on. He takes this bull by the horns. And he is furious when he writes this letter. Martin Luther calls it the volcano that erupts from a hot heart. And when he takes this issue head on, the people begin to say of him that he's cranky and negative, and all of a sudden the ministry of the apostle comes to a screeching halt and he literally gets down on his knees and he begins to beg. Contrary to this assertive, abrasive, negative, cranky person, he's on his knees and he's begging these Galatians. Verse 12. I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. He was saying, I became, in essence, a Gentile. I was this Jew of the Jews, committed to the law and the formality of Judaism. 
and I encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, I became as you, a person in dire need of the grace of God. Now you become as I am. You leave aside, you turn away from this Judaism that demands that you keep the law and earn your way to right standing with God. And he's encouraging, he's urging them to to stand on that level ground again so that as pastor and people, they're the same, they're one. They have the same needs and they have the same background and they have the same purpose in life. Become as I, as I have become as you. And in verse 19, he even uses the term, my little children. And then he makes a statement in verse 12. You have done me no wrong. Now, I want you to take a pencil and circle that because that that statement in the middle of this um, context is unique. He's reflecting back and he's saying, as I look back on our relationship, I see no scars. Not very many pastors can say that. Not many pastors can say that. Now I'm not one who is given to, um, you know, to um, uh, uh, modeling uh, melodrama. (laughs) But I do feel like it's kind of necessary for me tonight to say that these 12 years that I have been your pastor have been the best years of my ministry. I I can honestly say that. And I can look back on them and say, you have done me no wrong. I honestly, and if I um, checked out tonight, which I don't plan to, (laughs) if I checked out tonight, I could check out with this commendation. You have been better to me than my own family could be to me. I have no scars, no, no pain. And not everybody can say that, so I'm saying that to commend you and to let you know how grateful I am. And to kind of hope that you kind of keep it going. That way. All right. Now, the attitude of the Galatians, now look at this attitude. He's looking back now and he's recalling his first visits to the Galatians. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. I think we we forget a lot of times that the Apostle Paul was a sick man. And he was a sick man when when he was in Galatia. There are some who suggest that he that he had malaria um caused severe headaches, referred to, you know, all these headaches were referred to as a hot iron piercing the forehead. Uh, Some say that that the Apostle Paul had an, an, an eye disease. He had a problem with his eyes. He was almost blind. I'll see where, I'll show you where they get that after a while. He was a sick man. Well, what was their attitude toward this pastor? A sick man. Look at it. He said, And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. The word despise there means to reject. You didn't reject me. 
although I was somewhat incapacitated. I was imperfect. And you didn't loaf me. And the word means to spit out, spit out one's mouth. He said, you didn't spit me out. You didn't loathe me and reject me. You accepted me as I am. Now, if we had a little list of things that, that we need to jot down with regard to the attitude we should have toward a pastor, you'd want to put that on the top of the list. That he is accepted as he is. That he's not rejected because he's imperfect. He's accepted for as he is. And he is affirmed. Apostle Paul says that you affirmed me, but you received me, he said, as an angel of God. The word is angel there is the word euangelion in the Greek. It means as a messenger straight from God. You threw out the welcome mat for me. You received me. That word means that you didn't just say, okay, you know, welcome to our um, uh, church. Here's some cookies and uh, that kind of stuff. We'll bring some food over for the first couple of days. It means that you made me a part of your life. You made me a part of your life. You let me into your heart. I'm absolutely convinced that a pastor cannot be a leader unless he has some followers, some people who are willing to let him in to their lives and into their heart. You took me in. You threw out the welcome mat. And you received me as an angel, as a messenger from God, even as you would receive Jesus himself, so that when I preached, when I preached, it was like, you were hearing, you felt like it was Jesus talking to you. Then he goes on to say, where then is that sense of blessing you had? What has happened to us? What has happened to the relationship that was there in the beginning? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Thus the reason why some felt that Paul's thorn in the flesh was an eye disease. He said, you would have, were you listening? You would have given to me the most precious thing you possessed if you knew I needed it. You would have given me your eyes if you fought I needed them. Now, how, what kind of a, a relationship, what kind of an attitude that church? They didn't reject him when they found out he was imperfect. And they didn't spit him out when they saw that he was a burden somewhat on them. And they listened to him preach as a messenger from God. And they opened up their heart to Him and they understood Him and they felt for Him and they were sensitive to Him. And when He preached, they listened to Him preach. Now, look at verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy, enemy by telling you the truth? Am I your enemy because you don't like what I say? Um, I was in my Sunday school class. We were studying, we were studying the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. 
and old uh, Samuel the boy, you know, growing up in the, with Eli in the temple. And God speaks to Samuel one night and tells him that he's going to judge Eli and the kingdom, his kingdom is over and God's going to bring judgment upon that nation, etc., etc. And his kingdom will be, will be is over. He, his, his reign as king, his sons as priests, they're, they're finished, their history, they're through. And, and Eli comes to Samuel and he said, what did God tell you? He said, I, no, I don't, he, he didn't want to tell him. He loved him in the first place. And besides that, sometimes if the message, the message isn't acceptable, they kill the messenger back those days. <laughs> He's a little bit afraid for his life. That's what Eli said. I want to know what God said to you. I asked my class a question that I'll ask you. Do you think that the people who come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, do you think those, do you think the people in the majority who come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night want to hear what God has to say? Half of my class said no. Half of my class said yes. And somebody in my class said, well, what do they want to, to, to hear if they come to church and they don't want to hear what God has to say? And the ones who felt like that, that, no, they don't want to hear what God has to say said this. They want to hear what they want to hear said. And they want their own opinions and biases um, affirmed. Has, have you become an enemy of someone because you told the truth or do you have enemies because they have told you the truth? Now look at Paul's attitude. Paul's attitude is verses 17 through 19. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. He's talking about the Judaizers. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. Now, if I could uh, put it in a, you know, in, a, in a sentence or a paragraph, the attitude of every pastor ought to be this and only this, that the reason he is here is that he is here to help Christ be formed in his people. Any other motive is a poor motive. Now, it's not that Christ indwells you, but that Christ will be formed in you. In other words, that you will take the shape of Christ. Now watch this carefully. A, a pastor can come to a church, I think, and, and lead people to know the Lord, and Christ can come to indwell them. But his task and responsibility is not just to get people down an aisle or in a baptistry. His, his task and his responsibility is to enable that person to take the shape of Christ. 
And that involves the commitment of his life to them. Now, I know there are a lot of preachers that, um, uh, you know, that, that have had conflicts in their churches. And we want to beat up the people in the churches for, for what has gone on. I'm here to tell you there are a lot of preachers who have gone into churches and have raped those churches. And they've tried to impose on the church their own, their own ways and their own opinions without any kind of thought for the people with, that are there. So it goes both ways. And the purpose of the pastor in this conflict is that he, he is committed to seeing Christ formed in the lives of his people and them, those people taking the shape of Jesus Christ. And when he keeps his eye on that goal, he won't have any problems. Somebody said that there are three things that a pastor ought to be able to do. First of all, he should be a person who sees. A person who sees. John, Jesus came by and saw a man born, who was born blind, the scripture says, and he saw that man. Others saw him too. But they criticized his morals and they blamed his sin or his parents' sin on the reason he was blind. Jesus saw the man. Henry Newman in his book, The Wounded Healer, says, quote, It is this service which gives eyes to the flower breaking through the cracks in the street, ears to hear a word of forgiveness muted by hatred and hostility, and hands to feel new life under the cover of death and destruction. He's a person who sees. A preacher must should be a person who hears. Jesus has had as much to say about effective hearing as he did about effective speaking. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he took time to hear the needs of others. He listened to people. On one occasion he was traveling to the house of Jairus and a woman broke in. For her daughter was at, Jairus' daughter was at a point of death. This woman broke in to interrupt him. And he heard her heart cry though her voice was silent. He was a person who heard. And he was a person, a preacher should be a person who can feel. The great illusion of leadership is to think that a person can be led out of the desert by somebody who has never been there. He feels. He sees, he hears, he feels. How to solve the pastor-people conflict. Now there are two things that stand out from this text. Let me give you these two things and then we're out of here. Number one, embrace the truth no matter how much it hurts. Embrace the truth no matter how much it hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts far worse than a lie. Second, watch your attitude because the longer you know a person, the more you're likely to take them for granted. When is the honeymoon over? (laughs) 
I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. And there's no telling about these things with all this strep throat going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll be bringing your meals from Rossini's. I've already got it arranged with the floor superintendent. Oh man, they are in love. Second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called Doc Miller and asked him to rush right over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for Papa. <laughs> Third year. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest. <laughs> oh, I hope I can make it through. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something to eat. Have you got any canned soup? Fourth year. Now look, dear. Be sensible. After you fed the kids, washed the dishes, and finished the floor, you better lie down. <laughs> Fifth year. Sound like anybody you know, Ed? <laughs> Fifth year. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Sixth year. I wish you'd gargle. <laughs> I, I wish you'd gargle something instead of sitting around all evening barking. <laughs> barking like a seal. <laughs> Seventh year. For Pete's sake. <laughs> For Pete's sake, stop sneezing or you're going to give me pneumonia. <laughs> Holy cow. What's your attitude? Because the longer you have a pastor, the easier it is to get tired of him. Watch your attitude. Because the more familiar you get with your congregation, pastor, the less you're able to hear them or see them or feel for them. Let's pray together. Our Father, I wish to thank you tonight for a loving congregation. Help us to affirm one another and to accept one another as we are and thus fulfill the law of Christ that we love one another. And do not allow conflict, Father, to interrupt a relationship of love that Jesus might be honored and glorified within His people. For I pray in Christ's name and ask it for His sake. I'd like to give an invitation tonight an invitation for you to receive Christ as your Savior. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you might, this might be the great opportunity for you to do that. Or maybe you need to come tonight and join this church. If I were in town, living in town, and didn't have a church home, that's where I'd join. 
I'd be a member of this church. Whatever it would take, get a member, be a member here, I'd do it. I'd want to be a part of this fellowship. I think everybody in Durant, Oklahoma, I'll be a member of First Baptist Church. I really mean that. Maybe you need to come tonight and to commit your life to Christ in a new and fresh way while we stand and sing, we invite you to come.